Truth Espresso, episode 94. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, friends, family, and foes alike. Whatever reason you are listening to Truth Espresso, this is Daniel Minnick, and welcome to yet another exciting episode. And if you've seen the title of this episode, you will see that it is part three of answering the question, Is Jesus Like Captain America? I'm so glad I managed to get three parts out of this question because I get to use this special logo that I crafted for this question in particular, Is Jesus Like Captain America? So if you've seen the logo for this episode and the previous two parts, you will see that there is a Captain America glowing from the Truth Espresso standard logo. Now, this isn't the Captain America that you might see on some Marvel comics. This is not Chris Evans, the actor who played Captain America in the recent Marvel Avengers series. No, this is our very own Chris Honholtz from the Christian podcast community. Now, you might have to squint your eyes and tilt your head to realize that that is not Chris Evans. It is, in fact, Chris Honholtz. He has quite the Captain America get-up there. And so, kudos to Chris Honholtz. Now, who is Chris Honholtz? If you haven't listened to the previous two parts to answering the question, is Jesus like Captain America? Chris Honholtz co-hosts a podcast on the Christian podcast community called Voice of Reason Radio. And so... For part three, this is the third part to plug Voice of Reason Radio. If you haven't checked out Voice of Reason Radio yet, what are you waiting for? If you've listened to the previous episodes, go ahead and check it out. Now, you don't have to pause this episode right now to check it out, but write it down or something. Go subscribe so that you can get the latest episodes of Voice of Reason Radio with Chris Honholtz and Richard Story. They are really cool guys. They have big hearts and lots of good information to check out. And particularly, they have a lot of uh, good things to say about Buddy the Elf from the movie The Elf. Because there is currently a thing where Dr. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries, the host of the Dividing Line podcast, has recognized Chris Honholtz there and has mailed him a Buddy the Elf and some other people, including Andrew Rappaport in the Christian podcast community, has also mailed him something elf-related. So that's really cool. It's a really fun thing there. But I know Chris is getting a little bit weary and kind of uh, nervous about what he's going to see next in his mailbox. Now, that's not a hint that I've mailed him anything. But go ahead and check out Voice of Reason Radio, co-hosted by Chris Honholtz and Richard Story. 
Now, I also think it's a little bit fitting this episode is set to air as you're listening to if it just showed up in your feed today. This is Monday after Easter Sunday, and I think the topic that we're discussing on this episode is apropos for Easter, because Easter, or Resurrection Day, is all about celebrating Jesus Christ and Him being risen from the dead. And so, why is that important, and what does this episode have to do with Easter? Well, as Jesus rose from the dead, being the only person to raise himself from the dead, and showing that he is both man and the Son of God, the divine second person of the Trinity with power to raise the dead, the resurrection shows just who Jesus Christ is and how he said that he would be the res- he is the resurrection the life and indeed by being raised from the dead and conquering sin and death and the grave it shows that Jesus is special he is not just a man and he wasn't just god or a demigod or an angel or an alien or something like that waltzing around on earth just to say some weird stuff and do some cool things he took on our humanity he took on a human nature while still being divine and so conquering sin and death being raised from the dead and having a glorified human nature he is the first fruits of our resurrection so because he was raised from the dead he gives us that victory and we have the resurrection of the dead to look forward to because of what jesus christ has done being our substitute taking our sin upon him taking the pain and the death of that taking the curse becoming a curse for us by hanging on the tree jesus christ then put to death the sin that we have nailed upon him and then he rose from the dead And now we have the hope of the resurrection and we can live with him eternally. And now let's see just how the question, is Jesus like Captain America, relates to this. Well, if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, episode 89 and episode 93, parts 1 and parts 2 respectively of answering the question, is Jesus like Captain America, you know what we're talking about here. And so the idea of Captain America being a picture of what Jesus is not like is that Captain America is both human and super, but it's all one mixed together, one superhuman nature, and that's not what Jesus is like. I believe the scriptures are clear that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And so this episode is going to be about why that is and how that is. So the previous two parts dealt with someone in history by the name of Eutyches who taught that Jesus was one nature as a result of the union of the two. Basically, the incarnation meant that the humanity and the divinity of Jesus combined into one nature, but the orthodox teaching of Jesus is that he retains two natures, although they are united properly under the one person of the Son, the Logos. So Jesus is one person with two full and distinct natures. But what is the problem with that? Why is it a problem to believe that Jesus 
has one nature, a humano-divino nature that's kind of like an alchemy of the two. Uh, we call this Eutychianism or monophysitism. Monophysitism means the belief in one nature. But what ultimately is the problem with this? Well, the main problem with this error, as is the main problem with every other error about Jesus Christ that we have looked at in history, is first that it denies substitutionary atonement. And how does this deny substitutionary atonement? Why can't Jesus be like a demigod? Why can't he be like the fusion, the union, the mixture of divine and human, maybe half man, half God, maybe somehow fully, but like mixing food coloring and water? What's wrong with that? Well, according to Eutychianism or monophysitism, Jesus is really neither God nor man, but a tertium quid, as the Latin term was during the time of this controversy, which means a third thing. So let's ask that question, how could a third thing that is partly human and or partly divine reconcile man to God? If we take some kind of demigod, if Jesus was like a Hercules or something like that, and we were to put this third thing on the cross, um, how can that really substitute for us? How can a third thing take upon our sins? How can a third thing live under the law? Because as Galatians 4 verses 4 through 5 say, and I have quoted this multiple times because it is very important in understanding this concept that says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem that are, them that are under the law. So, being born under the law is important to be able to redeem them that are under the law. Well, what is the law? It is God's will, God's moral commandments given to humanity. Remember that God created man in his image. And so, as image bearers of God, yet we are a different species from God, of course, there is God, as the Old Testament says, God is not a man, that he should repent, and so on. But, we bear the image of God as humans, and so God gave us his law. And if God gave humanity the law, he didn't give rocks the law. He didn't give cows or goats or bulls or um, lizards the law. He gave humans the law as image bearers of God. And so if we are cursed under the law because we fail to keep God's perfect law, how are we redeemed? Well, we must have a representative who can take the sins upon him. And then our punishment, our due penalty is placed on him. But what of this third thing? If Jesus was not our species, but something different or something less, he could not be our substitute. And a third thing cannot be born under the law to redeem them that are under the law. So, as Genesis 1.26 said, God created man in his image and after his likeness. 
And he gave Moses the law for Israel and by extension to humanity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.19, he says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so, we as human beings who are all sinners, as the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, we all have this plight. We all have this curse. And so, some alien can't redeem us. Some alien can't be our substitute. An angel can't be our substitute. An animal cannot be our substitute. And something that is human-ish, but not fully human, would still not be someone who is subject to the law, because God made man in his image. God gave man his law. So therefore, if one were to be the representative of humanity to take on the penalty due for sins, that one would also have to be fully human. If we look at 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So, if the just must take the place of the unjust, the just must be of the same type of being as the unjust. And he's put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. And so, that is the clear teaching of Scripture, that Jesus Christ was one of us. He is called Anthropos. Well, at the same time, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, this one who is both man and God, is able to substitute for us. He's able to be born of a woman, born under the law, and to obey the law perfectly, and then become that spotless lamb who can take our sin debt upon him, and thus be our substitute. And so, let's look at that once again and answer that question, how could a third thing be born under the law, according to Galatians 4.4? Like Athanasius said against the Arians, if Jesus isn't God, then he cannot be my Savior. Because one who is going to make us, one who is going to be worthy before God, to bear the wrath of God upon humanity and upon millions of people, guilty before God, how can someone bear that being just one human being? He has to be fully God. He must have the worth to be presented before God the Father and to be worthy and to have the value to pay for the sins of millions of people. But also like Gregory of Nazianza set up against Apollinaris as we looked at Is Jesus like Iron Man? What is not assumed is not healed. So, if there's any part of humanity that is not taken upon him, that is not assumed upon him in the incarnation, if he only took on human flesh, but not the human spirit, the human immaterial component, or the human mind or soul, whatever have you, then he couldn't redeem that component. So he had to be fully human. He has to be fully God and fully man. 
But do the scriptures really teach this? Are the scriptures clear about that? Did the incarnation change the divinity or change the humanity? So are the scriptures clear about if Jesus is fully man and fully God? I mean, how do the scriptures argue against Eutychianism or monophysitism, that that he has one blended nature, one nature that's kind of a piece of this, a piece of that, part God, part man, or a fusion or mixture, whatever? How do the scriptures show that Jesus is not a third thing? Well, he would be a third thing if somehow the incarnation was a change to the divinity or in any way lacking in the humanity. So let's look at some scriptures that will answer that question. Let's look first at the very common scriptures of John 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so that word for word is the Greek word logos. And in the Greek, the verse is, Enarche ein halagos, kai halagos ein proston theon, kai theos ein halagos. So, lexically speaking, the wording of that last part, and the word was God, the word order is, and God was the word. And so, theos for God comes before logos here. But that doesn't really mean we should translate this verse as, and God was the word. The statement isn't saying who God is. It's a statement about the logos, the word. The logos is still the subject of the sentence, but the word order does help us to know how to treat this word theos here. So, theos here is what is called a preverbal anarthrous predicate nominative. Preverbal because it comes before the verb. Anarthrous means it doesn't have an article. It's not saying the God is the word. And it's a predicate nominative. So, although it comes before the, the verb, in English, we always have a predicate nominative after the verb. If I were to say, Daniel is a cool guy, the word guy there is a predicate nominative. It's retelling what Daniel is like, and you can definitely believe that that sentence is true, right? (laughs) And so, how do uh, some Greek scholars understand what this means? It's saying, and the word was divine, or the word was as to his nature God. So, the word was just as much God as the God with whom the word was with. And so, this is a Trinitarian statement showing that the word, the Logos, is divine with the God whom he was with before all things were created. And so, I hope that is not too confusing there. The word is distinct from the God in person, but the word is as to his nature, God with the God. So, we're not dealing with two separate gods here, but the word has divinity as his nature. And now look at John 1.14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to zero in on that first part. It says, And the Word was made flesh. 
Uh, in the Greek, that phrase is kaihalagos sarx egenita. So what does this mean when it says, and the word was made flesh, and the word, or the word became flesh, sarx flesh, egenita became? It isn't saying that the logos or the word changed into flesh. It's saying that he took on flesh. So the word there, agenata for became or was made, it comes from the word genao. It means to come into existence. But wait a minute, are you saying that the word was created? No, obviously we see from John 1.1 that in the beginning was the word. But the verb there from John 1.1, in the beginning, was, is an imperfect, meaning that before all things, the word existed. But then in John 1.14, when it says, and the word became or was made flesh, the word for became there means to come into existence. So, while the word existed and was as to his nature God, the flesh that he had that he was incarnated came into existence so the logos pre-existed the incarnation and the flesh or the you know the humanity of the logos as jesus agenita came into existence this word is an aorist tense middle voice i don't want to get too technical here but it basically means that this is a past tense but it's also reflexive so it's something that the logos did to himself the logos created the this flesh or this humanity brought it into existence So the human nature of Jesus came into existence at a point in time, and the Logos did this to himself, but the Logos pre-existed this and was with God before all things were created. So this is clearly saying that the Logos took on humanity, didn't change into it. He was still Theos with the Father, but he took on Sarx or flesh or humanity. So, Daniel, how do you know that this word for became didn't mean changed into? Well, if we look at John 8, 58, where Jesus said, it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Prin Abraham genestai ego I me, in the Greek. So, the word, when it says, before Abraham was, it comes from the same Greek word where in John 1.14, it says the word became flesh. Jesus isn't saying before Abraham changed into something, I am. It says before Abraham came into existence. So the flesh, the humanity of Jesus came into existence. The word took it on. So, the Gospel of John clearly shows that the Word becoming flesh is one person, Jesus, with two full natures, Theos and Sarx, divinity and humanity. Let's look at another passage, Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, or deity bodily. Hati enoto kotoike panta pleroma tes theatetas somatikos. The Greek there for that verse. So theatetas means deity or what makes God God. And somatikos means bodily or in bodily form. So this verse is also clearly showing that Jesus is fully God and fully man. 
So in him, in that one, Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of deity. So he doesn't lack anything in deity via the incarnation. When he became Jesus, he didn't give up any deity. In him dwells all of what makes God God, and all of that dwells in him bodily. And Jesus wasn't less of a human. So this verse, Colossians 2.9, also shows that Jesus has all of both natures. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Romans saying, Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, there's his humanity, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So there's his deity proven by the resurrection. So how could a compromised humanity be truly made of the seed of David according to the flesh? That statement shows that he cannot be less than human. He has to be fully human. And how could he be declared the Son of God by his resurrection if he is less than God himself? So, if as the Son of Man shows that he is uniquely human as the Divine One, and then the Son of God shows that he is uniquely divine as the human. And so, Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, also shows that this one person, our Lord Jesus Christ, has both full humanity and full deity. We look at John chapter 20, verses 27 through 29. This is the encounter with Thomas that I mentioned earlier. It says, Then saith he, Jesus, to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And now those words that Thomas said when he saw Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. It says he said it to him. He said it to Jesus. And therefore, he's calling Jesus, my Lord and my God. In the Greek, this is hakuriasmu kai hatheosmu. And I've mentioned on a, a previous episode how you can look at Psalm 35:23 in the Septuagint, uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, and that is where King David, the psalmist, refers to Yahweh God as my God and my Lord, the same Greek words there as Thomas said to Jesus. And so, as Jesus is saying, Behold my hands and thrust your fingers into my side, that's his resurrected humanity there, and yet Thomas calls him my Lord and my God. And so, there's the two natures of Jesus Christ. And now, let's look at another beautiful passage. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. This is part of what is called the Carmen Christi. It's the ancient hymn to Christ as to God. 
So the Apostle Paul referred to Jesus as who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, who being in the form of God, this word for being is huparkon. It is a present active participle showing that he is currently being in the form of God. So, while Jesus was being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, or he, he considered it not something to be grasped or held on to. Now, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he made himself of no reputation in the King James. This actually translates one Greek word, ekenosen. It means he emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant. Took upon him is the Greek participle labon. So, took upon him the form of a servant. This is referring to humanity, he humbled himself, and was made, genomenos, in the likeness of men. So, we could translate this verse also by saying, but emptied himself by taking on and being made. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, I hope I haven't lost you here because I'm going to retrace what is being said about Jesus. So, who being, while being in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. So, the one who is being God took on humanity. Thus, you have the one person of Jesus who takes on a human nature while still being in the divine nature. So, the emptying here is not that the Son changed into a human or that he gave up some of his divinity. There is no change to his being in the form of God. The emptying is defined and described by taking on humanity. Because we could get a little more technical there. Why is it saying that he emptied himself by taking on the form of humanity? Because these participles, labon taking on and genomenos being made, they are like adverbs. They describe the emptying. They define it. So, it is clear from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-7 through 7, that the who, the one person there, while being God, took on humanity. Therefore, you have one person with two full natures, and the emptying there, being defined as taking on, doesn't mean that he changed from God to man. It means while he was still being God, he took on humanity. And we could take this word took on, labon, from this passage and look at another passage to see yet another place where it is proved that Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time. If we look at Hebrews 2, verse 16, referring to Jesus as, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And of course, if you're the seed of Abraham, you're just as human as Abraham is. But what is this word here for took 
For truly he took not on, but he took on him the seed of Abram. He did not take on the nature of angels. And this word is similar to the word labon from Philippians 2.7. In Hebrews 2.16, the word for took here is epilambonitai. So, lumbano being the, the root verb from Philippians, uh, the verb here in Hebrews is epilumbano. And it always means, if you were to look at this word in the New Testament, it always means to take, to seize, or to lay hold on something. It never means to change into something. The same with lumbano used in Philippians. It always means to take, and it never means to morph into, or to absorb, or to appropriate only part of something. And so, I know we've kind of flurried through uh, some passage of, of Scripture here, but all of them show one person, not two like the Incredible Hulk, one person, but with two full natures, not like Captain America. And that's what the Council of Chalcedon was all about. That was what the Creed of Chalcedon faithfully declares, that Jesus is the self-same one Lord and Christ, but with two full natures, not separated into two persons, but joined together unified while still retaining the properties of both natures not reduced, not mixed together, not confused as if they're one nature. And that is absolutely important, because otherwise Jesus would end up being a third thing. He would be neither God nor man, and someone who is neither God nor man would provide no hope to humanity. He could not reconcile God to man. All this establishes that Jesus is one person with two full natures, because only such a person, such one person with two natures, divinity and humanity can be our substitute and reconcile us to God. To reconcile God and man, you need the incarnate God-man. Jesus, the Son of God and Lord of glory, to obey the Father perfectly and fulfill the law is necessary. Someone who has only one nature cannot do this. Someone who is part divine or part human cannot do this. And we can look even in the Old Testament to see in the oldest book of the Bible known, it is the book of Job. And as Job was suffering, Job says in verse 28 and following, I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou will not hold me innocent talking to God there. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and my own clothes shall abhor me. For he, referring to God, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let him not 
and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. But we have the revelation of Jesus Christ that Job could not fully see in his plight as he suffered from Satan taking away things. And Job had to wonder. He had the hope of the resurrection. He had the hope, but he could not see clearly as we have in Jesus Christ. And he said that God is not a man as I am that I could answer him and that we could come together in judgment. And Job chapter 9 and verse 33, it makes a startling claim that Job said, Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ, one person who's both God and man, that one person can lay his hand upon both God and man. And that is how God and man can be reconciled. And so I hope that that is what you can take away from this series. Now, we still have a little more to the series. There is a little bit of an appendix after the Council of Chalcedon. There's still uh, superhero stuff to look at here, but Chalcedon stands. The Creed of Chalcedon stands as the most famous and most clear statement of faith about who Jesus Christ is. One person, the Son of God, with two full natures, divinity and humanity and only with this can we have substitutionary atonement and only with this could we have hope before god and no religion of man can provide that no religion of works can ever provide a way to show that god's law is perfect and can be fulfilled no other religion can reconcile you to god And no truth other than the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, one person with two natures, can fulfill that and give us hope and pay for our sins and give us heaven and give us the resurrection. Amen and amen. Hey, I'm Joel. Hey, this is Troy. Have you ever thought about how many sermons have never been listened to because they were never recorded because they came out before recordings? On our podcast, Revive Thoughts, we take the roughly 1,900 years of sermons and try to bring them back to life. We talk about the history, we talk about the setting, and every week we have a different speaker deliver these sermons for us to listen to once again. So this is your chance to listen to sermons by people like Calvin by people like Spurgeon, by people like Knox, and maybe some people you've never heard of, like Johann Tauler or Alexander White. Let us live and move and have our being and deal with men as if a dying, risen, interesting... See poor Lazarus in his full frightening misery and behind him Christ. The hand cannot alone deliver man. The body must... You can find Revive Thoughts on any podcast app or player that you have and at revivethoughts.com. We hope you learn something new and grow closer to God. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts 
Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.